God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right, guys, welcome back. Today, we're going to dive back into Alcoholics Anonymous in the big book. We're looking at chapter five, how it works. And, uh, you know, it, it dives into the 12 steps and, and, you know, one through four and uh, and starts to break it down for us, how this program works. And, uh, you know, this chapter was written by Bill W. And, you know, he explains how it came about. He was writing and uh, was having a little bit of writer's block and he stopped and he prayed and he meditated and he waited a little bit. And then he went back to writing and he, he said that, you know, as soon as the the pen touched the paper, it, it like had a mind of its own, you know, and, and basically the chapter wrote itself. And he believes that this chapter was divinely inspired. And I'd have to agree, you know, through reading it and studying it, like it, it's very divinely inspired. This whole program is, right? Um, so let's get into it, how it works. And, you know, if you've been to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, we read, you know, this first few paragraphs at the beginning of every meeting. So it'll be familiar to you. Chapter five, how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And we'll just, we'll just start there. I mean, that, uh, that's a powerful and true statement. You know, rarely do we see anybody fail that really buys into this program, you know, that really works it to the best of their ability is honest with themselves, open-minded, and willing to do whatever it takes. You know, the people that come to meetings, they're of service, they get a sponsor, they work the steps, they change their daily habits, you know, they're honest with themselves about their past and the things that they've been doing. You know, they're, they're practicing integrity in the way that they live today. Um, and they're doing the next right thing day after day and taking it one day at a time, you know. People that do that, do not fail in this program. Like rarely have we seen someone fail who has thoroughly followed our path. It's a proven program, right? Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. And that's the thing. Like honesty is honesty is number one like that that's what gets us here in the first place right like admitting that we have a problem and being willing to do something about it you know but it starts with that honesty of admitting that we're powerless over drugs and alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable and then you know being honest with other people and, and raising your hand and asking for help and and uh taking an honest look at our past and and taking an honest look at our motives and where we want to go in the future here they are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. And that's true. Like I've seen people in AA, NA, um, other programs that <clears throat> suffer from mental disorders like schizophrenia or you know, anxiety, bipolar, things like that. And, you know, if those people are willing to be honest and like, and be honest about their mental health issues, outside issues, 
and you know do something about their uh, addiction and they thoroughly follow our path and work this program to the best of their ability they're able to get and stay sober like they're they're able to work through the the things that they've done and you know find meaning in their life and find meaning in sobriety and live a good life you know and it does take outside help too you know a lot of those people need medication but you know that's okay as long as it's you know supervised by a doctor and they're following you know their suggestions and and doing the things necessary to you know keep their life on track our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like what happened and what we are like now if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it then you are ready to take certain steps and that's that willingness, you know, like being willing to do whatever it takes to get and stay sober. You know, if you've decided you you want what we have, if you decided that you want to be sober and you're willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. And you got to be willing to do whatever it takes to get and stay sober. And that's a tough pill to swallow, you know, like any lengths, you know, and that means it means first of all being honest with yourself about what got you here you know like what happened in the past that got you to this place of that hopeless demoralization you know like what brought you to your bottom and you know we get into that in this program you know we'll start peeling back the layers of that onion to to figure that out but you know being willing to do whatever it takes to go to any lengths you know and a lot of times that means making tough decisions with people like being honest about our relationships and being willing to you know cut certain people off uh you know to change our environment you know for me like i could not get sober on my own like i had to be removed from society and so if you're in that position of powerlessness maybe rehab is the right decision for you because if you're really ready to be clean and sober but you're powerless you need to you need help, right? And and rehab is a great source of help to get you out of the certain circumstance that you're in, whether that's at home or wherever you're at, and remove you from society for a minute, get you into a safe place around people that care about your sobriety and well-being, well-being, and are you know able to help you with uh, your physical needs as well as you know some of your mental health needs as well. And uh, that can be the separation that you need to get over that powerlessness. Because my powerlessness, I was not capable of getting sober on my own. If I was free, I was going to be drinking for sure, smoking weed all day. And that just led to other things, you know. Um, but if you're willing to do whatever it takes and you're willing to take certain steps, right? And uh, the steps that we take are the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. At some of these, we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. And that was my dilemma in the beginning was like, when I was a young man introduced to these rooms, you know, and I wasn't entirely ready, like I balked at some of these steps. Like I was like, man, that's a lot, you know, and uh I thought I could find an easier, softer way. You know, I thought that I could not do the steps. I thought I could pick and choose some steps to do. I thought I could do it without a sponsor. 
I thought I could do it without being of service, without coming to meetings. Like I tried every way, you know, I, I tried trading certain drugs for others. You know, I traded heroin for alcohol. I traded marijuana for alcohol, uh, or traded alcohol for marijuana. And it never worked. It never worked until I was willing to completely surrender and buy into this program and really give my life to a higher power and cultivate that relationship and fill that hole, you know, because for me, like that was it. Like I had a, I had a hole in my spirit, you know, that I was like covering with drugs and alcohol and really only God could fill that hole. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. And that's it. Like, you just got to buy in. You know, you got to drink the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? You got to just, you got to let go of your old ideas. Like, your old ideas got you to this bottom, right? Like, my old thinking got me like i said in the last episode like just bleeding ulcers sick spiritually mentally physically handcuffed and shackled to a table like that's where my ideas take me i need to let go of all my old ideas wipe the slate clean sit down shut up open my ears and listen to the suggestions of people that know how to get and stay sober because i don't like I had to come to terms that I didn't know what I was doing. My th- my best thinking got me to where I was and I didn't want to be there anymore. So I was willing to do whatever it took to get and stay sober because something had to change. And if I wasn't willing to change, then things wouldn't change, right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. And so I need to be humble enough to understand that I don't know how to do this and that I can't do this alone. And that I need a higher power to get me there. Because no human force can get or keep me sober. I can't do it. My mom can't do it. My best friend can't do it. My psychologist can't do it. Nobody can do it but God. And with God's help and my perseverance and my dedication and my hard work, I can get and stay sober and and live a life of meaning. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, and powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. That's it. You have to surrender, you know. And that's the thing is like, for me, that surrender, just that word, you know, that word surrender bothered me as a child. You know, like men that I looked up to didn't surrender. Like there's no surrender, no retreat. Right? I'm willing to die behind things. And I'm not going to quit. You know, I'm not going to back down. I'm not fucking surrendering, dude. So that's what kept me sick for a long time was like not being willing to surrender. Like thinking that I could control it, you know, that I was in control. That I could if if only certain things would happen then I would be able to overcome this, you know. If I got the right girl, if I got the right job, if I got out of my living situation into a different one, you know, if I moved over here, you know, if I got a truck, if whatever, you know, then I'll, then I'll be ready, you know, 
And that never worked out for me. You know what I mean? Until I completely surrendered. Because I have very limited power in my little finite brain, you know? But there is one that has all power, that the creator of the universe, right? He has the power to overcome anything, to change anything, to build anything, create anything. And he can recreate me, right, if I allow him to. If you reach out to that higher power and ask him to come into your life with real earnestness and, and really seek him out and, and cultivate that relationship and you know, be honest with yourself and, and be honest with your higher power and, and really try. Like you can overcome this thing. You're not doomed. You know, we're, we're proven. It's a proven concept. But half measures avail us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection with care and complete abandon. And that's it, dude. Like half-assing it won't get you anywhere. Half measures avail us nothing. We have to be all in. That's it, dude. Like just buy in. Buy in for one year. That's what I tell people. Just do it for one year, dude. Like, just completely surrender. Give your life over to God and buy into this program and, you know, read the literature, dive into this thing, become of service, help other people, you know, get outside of yourself, heal from the traumas of the past, figure out what got you here in the first place, overcome those things, wipe the slate clean, and build a life of sobriety. And if you do that for one year... You will have a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps and your life will change and you'll just want to give it to other people. But if you don't like where you're at in a year after, you know, working an honest, thorough program, you can always go back, you know, like the streets are not going anywhere. So, you know, what's, what's the risk, you know, the risk versus reward is there, you know, like give this thing a shot. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. And we'll, we'll deep dive into every step later on, but we'll just go over them here. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. 
The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. And that's it. You know, it's all about progress, you know. We're just trying to change our lives for the better, you know. We're trying to get out of that pit of despair, you know. Trying to get out of that bottom, you know, whatever got us here in the first place. And, like, trying to progress. And it's not it's not a straight uphill climb, you know. It's up and down and sideways and, and sometimes backwards and then back up and and then we stumble and then we'll go back up and then maybe we'll come back down and grab some other people and then come back up and, and it's progress not perfection you know and we're we're sinners dude like we're we're messed up individuals you know we we're flawed and we're we grow up in a flawed environment you know and we're brainwashed and just fed propaganda and we're you know we're taught all types of weird stuff and you know we're attracted to weird stuff and like we get jacked up out there you know and it brings us to this point where something has to change you know because when we're living in our own will it ends with pain you know we chase pleasure for so long and that road is a has a painful ending every time you know, you can only live in your will for so long before things get very, very painful. And uh, and when we get there, you know, we become willing to do whatever it takes and we start to, you know, take suggestions and move forward, you know, and that's, that's what it's about is moving forward. And, you know, that's why we always say keep coming back, you know, it's like even if you slip, you know, you fall down seven times, get up eight, you know, and just like continue to make progress. Doesn't matter how many times you relapse, just come back, you know, uh, you're lucky if you do, right? So you just got to humble yourself and be honest with yourself and like, and it's not an excuse to use and like to slip and to relapse. Oh, I'm, I'm progressing, but like really, you know, really try, you know, like, when you're really honest and willing and like doing, trying to do the next right thing and like have a sincere desire to heal and a sincere desire to progress, like you will, you know, as long as you're following some suggestions and are like, you know, have an open mind to this, you know, idea and concept of sobriety, like your life will progress and you will see the fruits of that, you know, when you're, when you're cultivating a relationship with a higher power and like are trying to live in God's will and are of service in these programs and are trying to live righteously and just trying to do the next right thing and have a sincere desire to do that. You know, God knows your heart, right? And you will be rewarded for those actions and rewarded for those, you know, uh, thoughts and, and rewarded for helping other people whether you believe in God or karma or whatever it is, like that stuff is real. And, you know, what you put out comes back. And the more that you practice God's will and practice these principles in all your affairs, like your life will get better. And you'll notice that and you'll just want to continue to progress down that line. (sighs) 
Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. And C, that God could and would if he were sought. So that's step one and two, right? That we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. That probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, right? And that God could and would if he were sought. Being convinced, we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our lives over to God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? So for me, this was like the turning point in my recovery journey. It was like, once I made that decision, that was it. You know, I took this step very seriously and like for me it was like all right this is the fork in the road you know like once i make this decision i'm not going back you know and i had never really made that decision you know i had probably danced around with the idea and like you know half asked it right half measures uh one foot in one foot out but i had never clearly made that decision and then followed through with my decision and that's the thing is like, it's just a decision. It's not an action. You know, we're not in the action step yet. Like you can make a decision and not follow through with that decision, right? You can decide you're going to do something or go somewhere or be something. And you can have all the sincerity in the world, you know, but until you put that into action, it's just a decision, right? And that's all we're doing here. But for me, it was the turning point because I was willing to do whatever it took to get and stay sober. So when I made this decision, I knew that that was it. Like I'm cutting off the old way of life and I'm deciding to turn my will and my life over to God of my understanding to the best of my ability, you know, and that meant I'm no longer living for Blaine's will. I'm no longer, you know going to live in selfishness and self-centeredness. I'm no longer going to pleasure seek, you know. I'm going to put God's will in everything I do to the best of my ability. Like again, I know I say it a lot, but like I'm I'm still I'm still human. I'm still flawed. Like I make mistakes, but I'm trying to progress in this walk, right? And for me, that meant first and foremost, stop the bleeding, you know, like stop being a piece of shit. Stop lying, cheating, manipulating. Stop trying to take advantage of people, you know, uh, and then start developing positive habits. Like, what is God's will for me? And for me, God's will meant living righteously, like just being a, a, a nice, regular person, upstanding member of society, trying to be of service wherever I can be. You know, for me, a lot of it's in this program, but in society too. Like, if you... If you see something that needs to be done, do it. Like, don't expect somebody else to do it. And a big one for me is like people that are, you know, getting car accidents on the side of the road. You see people just like driving by, driving by. You know, for me, I always pull over and make sure they're okay. Like, if you see something, a spot that needs to be filled, fill the spot. You know, if you can be of service anywhere, be of service there. 
you know, raise your hand and like try to try to do something with yourself. You know, don't expect other people just to take care of you and like take care of other people. Like be the change, you know, that was God's will for me in my journey is like be the change, be the light. And, you know, when I took this step, I got on my knees and, and I reached out to my higher power and I asked him to come into my life. And I made a covenant with him that if you help me to get sober and show me how to live this life clean and sober, then allow me to be a vessel of your truth. Allow me to be a vessel of your knowledge. Allow me to help other people. You know, help me help you. Help me help others. And, you know, that's what we're doing here today. And, you know, I'm of service in these programs and, and I walk the walk, you know, and the more that I've done that, the better my life has gotten. The more I've been able to get out of my own will and try to align my will with God's will, the better my life has gotten. And like the more I listen to the still small voice in the back of my head, the more I listen to that Holy Spirit's conviction in my life and, you know, listen to that voice that's telling me I need to stop doing certain things or I need to be doing certain things, the more I'm obedient to that, the better my life gets. And for me, that's God's will in my life, to be a good man, to be a good father, to be a good member of society, to be a good member of these programs, to be the light, to be the change, right? To be the role model for other people like me to see Oh, you can come out of these situations in the street. You can come out of darkness and come to the light, get clean and sober and live a life of meaning. And that's an incredible part. And it, it starts with this step here. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if the people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. And trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. And that's, you know, that's our will. We're trying to force our will on other people, trying to force our will in environments. <clears throat> and like we think... You know, we just try to control things, right? We try to control our lives, other people's lives to make our lives better. And it's all our will. Me, 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 me. If you would just do this, if she would stop doing that, if I could just have this, and we try to control and manipulate and like, you know, scheme and scam and, and try to get ourselves in position. And we're only thinking about ourselves. And it never works out that way. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. 
What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction, happiness out of this world if he only manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can out of the show? Is he not, even in his best moments, the producer of confusion rather than harmony? Our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He's like the retired businessman who lulls Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. Politicians and reformers who are all sure would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him. And the alcoholic who lost it all and is locked up. Whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, and our self-pity. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. And it is, you know, trying to put ourselves first in all these situations, you know, it's just, it's the issue, you know. And for me, I was always trying to change the way that I felt, like not only trying to you know put myself first in all these situations to gain standing status money power respect uh, you know whatever it is but i'm also like trying to change the way that i felt so i'm also drinking every day and, and using other substances to get outside of myself and that is another form of selfishness and self-centeredness like i'm i'm willing to do whatever it takes to stay loaded, you know, and I'm willing to commit crimes. I'm willing to sell stuff, rob stuff, you know, whatever it takes. Right. And it doesn't matter who I'm hurting. doesn't matter if I'm hurting myself. Like the repercussions are meaningless. Like my body was just getting destroyed. You know, it was, I was falling apart. My mental state had deteriorated. My spiritual state was very dim you know like i was a mess dude i had all of the repercussions in the world staring at me in the face couldn't stay out of jail losing custody of my kid like not being able to hold on relationships no money flipping cars duis you know poor relationships with women and and friends like burning bridges losing jobs just a mess dude just a mess but all my selfish and self-seeking desires were just, how can I get out of this? You know, what do I need to do to get into a, a better housing situation? What do I need to do to, you know, feel better right now? Like, forget about the future, you know? Tomorrow is going to bring tomorrow, and tomorrow will worry about itself. But right now, I need to change the way that I feel. And that's a sketchy spot to be in driven by a hundred forms of fear self-delusion self-seeking and self-pity we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation but we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self which later placed us in a position to be hurt yeah, it's like we do it to ourselves, you know, even if we feel like 
somebody wronged us. Like we always have a role to play in those situations. So our troubles we think are basically of our own making. And that's, that's it. You know, like take ownership. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's a big part of, of this program and a big part of life and growth and progress, right? Is like, take ownership of all this stuff. Like, take responsibility for your actions you know like be honest with yourself about where you're at what you've done the places that you've been the things that have happened take ownership of that stuff stop fucking blaming other people it's not your parents fault you are where you are you can blame other people one time you can blame your living your your family situation once that's it you know If you get to 18 years old and your mom and dad fucked you up, the government fucked you up, whatever situation you came through messed you up, you got raped, molested, you know, trafficked, whatever it is, you were homeless, you were abused, all those things are horrible and all of those things, especially unprovoked, are not your fault and that's the truth. But what's also the truth is that now that you're an adult, your response is your responsibility. You know, you're no longer powerless, right? You now are in, are in position to change your life and to, to rewrite the outcome. Like all those issues happened and they happened for a reason and they brought you to the point where now you have a decision to make. And, you know, a lot of us stay sick in that in the past for a long time. And we allow those situations to continue to hurt us and continue to, you know, mess up our future. And we use it as excuses for our behavior. But as adults, like, we're no longer under, you know, those powers. Like, we have decisions to make and we have the power to change. And there's a lot of help out there. There's a lot of self-help groups. And, you know, hopefully you find the help that you need. But it takes ownership. Like, you have to take responsibility for your life now. And responsibility for your future. And, you know, if you are a victim of, of assault and abuse and trafficking, you know, It never happened to me and I'm not here to judge you and to judge your journey, but I know that you can overcome it. And I know that you can change the perspective on things that have happened to you and you can change the outcome of your life and you can find meaning in those things by helping other people to overcome those same situations, you know, and that's what we do in these programs is like we become the light. We become the person that can show you what is possible right and it's not about what happens to us it's about how we react and overcome the things that have happened to us and that is where the power is and you can find that power from god Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes this possible. 
and there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying our own power or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is how this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be the director. He is the principal, we are his agents. He is the father, we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant art through which we passed through to freedom. When we sincerely took this position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer being all-powerful. He provided what we needed. If we kept close to him and performed his work well, Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. Man that's the beauty of it right there like get out of your own way right surrender your power to a higher power like allow god to take the wheel like as soon as i gave gave it all to him like i immediately got that peace is i no longer cared about the outcome like i knew that when i tried to control things it got me to that point but when I gave up the, the power, when I gave it to God and, and asked him to take control of my life and to show me how to live and then like paid attention to that and really tried to take those suggestions and really tried to do something about it and didn't care about the expectations, but only cared about trying to follow God's will, I gained that peace. I gained that power, right? I gained the power to overcome my mind, right? I was no longer anxious about the future and I was in a bad I was in a bad spot. I had lost everything. I was looking at a bunch of time, lost my daughter. Like I had a lot of negative stuff going on, but I no longer cared about the outcome because I only cared about healing and I only cared about living in God's will. And for me, I knew that I just needed to take it one day at a time and give the expectations to God. And I knew that as long as I did that, I was going to be taken care of. I knew that God had my best interest in mind. You know, I knew that this program worked. I knew that God cared about me. I knew that I, I had a willing and loving God that would take care of me as long as I tried my best. And that's been my truth, you know, and it's been other people's truth too. And the more that we try to do that and uh, align our will with His the better our life gets and we enjoy that peace of mind and we discover we could face life successfully no matter what happens like keeping that faith you know and the, when we keep that faith and we overcome life successfully when life shows up and we're able to stay sober and like work through things without drinking we build that self-confidence you know and when we overcome these hurdles in life without using, we build that confidence and realize 
we never have to use again. Like we, nothing can take me out anymore. You know, like it doesn't matter. I can overcome this. I can live with myself. I can live life on life's terms without drinking because drinking never solves anything for me. As a matter of fact, it ruined everything for me. We were reborn. That's how I felt. I felt like I just, I was born again, you know. I just wiped that slate clean and was like, whatever, you know. All that just happened. Like, I can't take back what just happened. I own up to the things that I did, right? We take ownership and I'm moving forward. And it doesn't matter if, if everybody else feels that way or not. Like, I feel that way. I'm writing a clean slate for myself. Like, I don't care who's mad at me. You know, like, those are all their own personal feelings and things that they have to work through. I need to find forgiveness for myself so that I can live for today. Because that's all we have, right? And I need to feel okay with myself today. Because I'm the only one inside of this skull. You know, like, I have to be okay with myself. And the only way I'm okay with myself is when I'm okay with my creator. And when I'm with okay with my creator is when I'm living life by his will to the best of my ability. And when I'm not, I own up to that stuff and I'm, you know, change and I move forward. We were now at step three. Many of us said to our maker as we understood him, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. And that's the third step prayer. And that's the, you know... I do that with all my sponsees and, you know, it's important, you know, to really, to make that connection with your higher power and to really, you know, make that prayer earnest, you know, like really feel that and like really ask him to come into your life, you know, to relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my victory, take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to you. Like allow the my victory over self to glorify you, Father. Like allow me to bear witness to your power, to your will, to your way of life. You know, that victory over myself may glorify God to show other people that. Through me giving my life to a higher power, I am able to overcome the bondage of self. I'm able to get out of my own way and allow a higher power to come into my life and to recreate my life. You know, I can't take away the sins of the past. That's on Jesus, right? But I can recreate my life today and rewrite the story. And that's what's important, you know, to to realize that it's not me and to glorify him, that I might better do thy will always, right? We found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person, such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor, your sponsor. 
But it, it is better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. The wording was, of course, quite optional, so long as we expressed the idea, voicing it without reservation. This was only be- the beginning, though if honestly and humbly made an effect, sometimes a very great one was felt at once. And that's how it was for me. It was felt at once. Like, that was it, you know. I've turned my will and my life over to you, Father, and now I'm seeking that out. Like, now I've made the decision, and now I'm ready to get into action. Like, how do I live out your will, okay? What are the, what are the morals and principles that I believe God stands for, and how do I live those out in my life, right? And so I started looking at my life and my daily habits and the things that I was doing, the way that I was treating other people, the way that I was treating myself, because I'm God's child too, you know, like I am his creation. And so I need to treat myself right. You know, I, it matters how you talk to yourself. Like it sets up your perspective for how you deal with life in general. If you're talking down upon yourself, how are you going to have a good perspective and outlook on life? Like, if you're constantly bashing and badmouthing yourself, you're not going to have self-confidence. And if you don't have self-confidence, you're not going to be able to overcome the things that life has to throw at you. So it starts with that self-actualization and the way that you talk to yourself and realizing that I am a child of God and that I am worth it and that I do have meaning and I do have purpose, you know, and that I am willing and capable of, of doing something worthy in my life and in society. I have something to offer. My life is worth it, you know, and sometimes we need to look in the mirror and say these things, you know, and like reinforce these ideas in our mind daily. And it also, it matters about what you're putting in, you know, like, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Especially early in sobriety, like I had to change everything. I had to completely swing the pendulum. And it started with this step, like thinking about what God's will was in my life and then looking that way and like making those changes. I didn't want to read any type of violence. I didn't want to hear any type of gangster rap or anything about drugs or, or, you know, women, like any of that stuff. I was solely focused on God and I was solely focused on recovery because that's what I needed. I needed to be obsessed with this thing. I needed to be addicted to recovery, right? Recovery addicts, like full blast, tunnel visioned, because that's what I need right now. I had spent so long just like lost in the flesh, lost in my own desire, that selfishness, self-centeredness, that I had lost myself in the darkness. And so I needed to turn the lights on and only focus on positivity in my life. And eventually you find balance, right? And that's where I'm best is having balance. Obviously not focusing on darkness i'm not talking about like having light and dark but having balance in all areas of my life you know i'm no longer affected by those negative things because i've been changed like god has come into my life and changed my heart i no longer have the desires of the flesh that i used to have i no longer lust for women the way i used to i no longer lust for power or you know, money, or any of those things the way that I used to. I'm not saying I don't at all, but I, not the way that I used to. My, my heart has been changed. I no longer you know, am pounding my head full of negativity and like seeking that out. I used to like harness that darkness, you know? 
and use it against other people and use it against myself. Like that's how lost I was. And today my heart has been changed and, and redeemed and I no longer have those feelings. You know, now I seek positivity. Now I seek redemption. Now I seek progress. Now I seek love. Now I seek to be of service. And all of those attributes came through seeking God in my life. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. And this is getting into the fourth step. And that was it, dude. Like, the liquor was a symptom. Like, it was, it was the, the answer to the way that I felt. Like, my alcoholism was a symptom of my spiritual, like, unwell-being, right? My spiritual sickness, my mental illness, my physical problems, you know, my mental problems, like, came out as alcoholism and drug use. But really, there was things underlying that were causing that. And that's what we're trying to get to in this fourth step. You know, like you take the drugs and alcohol away from me and I still have issues, right? Like the drugs and alcohol are not the main problem. Like I'm the real alcoholic. So some people you take the drugs and alcohol away and they're okay, right? The, the alcohol is the problem. If they could stay off the alcohol, they can keep their life together. For me, you take the alcohol away and I'm a freaking raw wound, you know, and I need that alcohol to numb the pain, right? That's a symptom of the, the way that I'm living. Take that stuff away and I still have all these issues, right? And that's where we get into the work of this four step is uncovering these issues, looking at the root cause of them, taking ownership and working through it. And letting it go. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. There, this was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsellable goods, to get rid of them promptly, and without regret, if the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. He did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested, manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. We considered it common manifestations. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stems all forms of spiritual disease. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, 
It was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. On our grudge list, we said opposite each name, our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? We were usually as definite as this example. And it lists you know, how to do your four-step on paper here. And uh, basically, it's who am I resentful at? What was the cause of that resentment? What happened? How did it affect me? And I like to put what was my role in it. Um, so I add an extra column there. And here's an example. And I like to make one more column, you know, saying what was my role in it? Because that was it for me it was like, looking at all of these situations and like realizing that I had a role to play in all of these relationships, you know, and the, the big light bulb for me was looking at the relationship with my daughter's mom and like, dude, the things that transpired in that relationship were very painful. And, you know, she did things to me at the end um, that were, you know, horrible and that really spun me off into the deep end and uh i had a lot of hatred for her and a lot of hatred for women in general and uh i was angry you know and i was upset and it wasn't until working this four step that i was able to to take a step back and detach from the situation and like look at these relationships and specifically the one with her and realize that it was me like i was the one that pushed her away in the beginning she was there for me. Like she, you know, had my baby and was like willing to try and make this thing work. And I was the one that was an alcoholic drug addict. Like I was lying to her. I wasn't being honest. I wasn't living up to her expectations as a spouse, as a father, a provider, all these things. I was self-seeking and selfish in my desires. I wasn't putting our relationship first. You know, I was lying to her using on the side, lying to her about it, you know, spending a lot of money on drugs and alcohol and had pushed her away. You know, I was the root cause of all of these things, you know, and until I realized that I stayed sick. And once that light bulb came on, it was like, wow, you know, and it made it a lot easier for me to forgive her for the things that she did, you know, by taking ownership of these situations, I'm able to, you know, find forgiveness for other people because it's my fault. And if I can forgive myself, then it's all good, you know? And that's where I'm trying to get is like, find forgiveness for other people, find forgiveness for myself, wipe the slate clean and move forward. But you got to be honest. Like if you don't work an honest four step and like really get all these things on paper and are honest about your role in all these situations, it's not going to work for you, you know? And if, you, if you're not willing to look at all of these situations honestly, the chances are they're going to come back, you know? And until you work that honest four-step and really work through those situations, get those things on paper and deal with them internally, the chances of them coming back are very strong. And when they come back, 
it can be a real problem, you know, and it can cause you to go back out. And, you know, a lot of people go back out over this step because it's hard, dude. It's hard to look at these resentments. Like it brings up all those emotions. You know, you look at these situations, these relationships, and it brings back all that anger, right? It brings back the jealousy. It brings back the pain, you know, of all these situations. And then being honest and like taking ownership of the fact that I'm the jackass here, you know, and like dealing with that. And then you got to deal with the shame and guilt of all those situations without drinking or using, you know, and that's why it's so vitally important to be doing this step with a sponsor and to be, and to be, you know, fully engaged in this program and going to meetings and talking about the way that you feel with other people that have been there, that have experienced these things that are like-minded, that care about you. And, you know, to have outlets for these emotions, for me, it's exercise, um, and writing like for other people, it's whatever works for you, but you need to have an outlet. You got to have an outlet. We can no longer push these feelings and emotions down inside without dealing with them. Like that's what got us to that point in the first place. You know, if you stuff these emotions, for me, it comes out in explosions, you know, and then I'm, I burn my freaking life to the ground and I, I'm not willing to do that anymore. Uh, what I am willing to do is whatever it takes, right? And for me, that means being willing to be uncomfortable, you know, and that uncomfortability looks like talking to another man about my problems. Cause that was never an experience I had. Like I was always trying to be the tough guy, like was never wanted to show any emotion, you know, was never, you're never going to catch me crying. Like, so to raise my hand and talk to another man about the way that I'm feeling, it's tough. It's tough, you know, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes because I'm not willing to go back to that old way of life, you know, so I got to get outside of myself and, and, you know, put my feelings on the shelf and be willing to do whatever it takes to get and stay clean and sober. And that's it. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. And that's like that saying, you know, resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies, like harboring that anger it doesn't do anything because that person probably doesn't give a shit, you know, like they probably don't feel the same way you feel. So all, all you're doing is like harboring these negative images and these negative feelings towards that person when they don't even give a crap about you, dude, or they've already forgiven you and like move forward. It's not even a big deal. Like they love you. It's not even an issue, but you're harboring these resentments and all it's doing is making you sick. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? But with the alcoholic, those who ho those hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience. This business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal, for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. And that's how real it is, dude. Like harboring these these resentments can be fatal like not taking an honest and thorough four step can be a fatal mistake because if you leave these stones uncovered and you don't come to the point of forgiveness for that person and, and forgiveness for yourself it can cause you to go back out and to go back out is jeopardizing your life 
because this disease is fatal. It gets worse, never better. Jails, institutions, and death. That's it, right? So that's how real it is to take these steps with all the best of your ability, honest and thorough from the very start. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be dubious luxuries of normal men, but for the alcoholics, these things were poison. We turned back to the list, for it held the key to our future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments had to be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away with any more alcohol. This was our course. We realized that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way that they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Then when a person offended, we said to ourselves, that is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. And that, dude, is like the key to the door of forgiveness. Like looking at these resentments and like realizing we all go through things, you know, like some of us are alcoholics and addicts. Others of us go through trauma and whatever, you know, all the negative things that we see people get raised in and, and go through happen. And, you know, ours manifests in addictions and we're lucky to have these programs and like get funneled into these environments where healing is like forced or like we're shown how to overcome it. A lot of people are just out there raw dogging their trauma, you know, and like raw dogging their mental illness and like not taking prescriptions and and just like going through life. And that that manifests in violence and it manifests in all types of negative things, you know. And so coming to the understanding that a lot of people are sick too, you know, and they harm us because of those things, you know, because of things that they've been through, because of the lies that they've been told, because of the pain that they're going through, they project that onto other people and they hurt us. Hurt people hurt people, right? There's that saying, but broken people help broken people, you know, and that's the truth too. And that's the power of this program, you know, and we have to understand that everybody has issues, you know, everybody goes through things and, you know, we hurt each other when we're hurt, you know, and we have to give people that grace. And it was easier for me to forgive other people when I realized that I'm fucked up, you know, and if I'm capable of doing these things, Like, of course, other people are capable of doing these things too, you know, whether it's behind drugs and alcohol or not. Like, we all have issues, you know, and we're all capable of violence. We're all capable of of harming each other in one way or another, whether that's manipulation or, you know, financial, sexual, whatever it is. Like, we can all hurt each other, whether we mean to or not. And understanding that I was physically mentally and spiritually sick 
And that's why I caused a lot of these pains on other people, allowed me to give grace to other people to, to have that as well, you know? And then praying for those people, like really sincerely praying for those people, whether, whether you want to or not, you know, like whether you're really over those resentments or not, you can pray your way out of those resentments sometimes and like really pray for those people earnestly and, and hope that they find that healing that they need, hoping, you know, that, that they find God in their life and that they find the higher power in their life to overcome the situations that, you know, cause them to harm you and to harm other people. And, you know, you can pray your way into good feelings about people. It's true. You know, it happens. And, and that's one of the tools that we use in this program. If we're having a hard time, like overcoming these resentments, we tell each other, like, pray for that person, you know, really pray for them earnestly that they find the healing that they need and that they come to terms with the things that they've done. We avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take kind and tolerant views of each other and everyone. Referring to our list again, putting our putting out of our minds the wrong others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation may not have been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person who involved in, who was involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. We noticed that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties of Mr. Brown, Mr. Joined, and he's talking about the list that he made there. But that that's it, dude. Like taking that ownership. Like what what role did we have to play in this thing? That's that's the most crucial part. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper. Even though we had no resentment in connection with them, we asked ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because of self-reliance had failed us? Self-reliance was a good was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. Perhaps it made us cocky. It was worse. Perhaps there's a better way. We think so. For we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role He assigns, just to the extent that we do as we think He would have us and humbly rely on Him. Does He enable us to match calamity with serenity? Does He enable us? And that's it, you know? We put our trust in God rather than ourselves. And we, you know, we're in the world to play the role that he assigns, right? Like that's living in his will, getting outside of ourselves and like not putting ourselves first anymore, but seeking God's will in all things, you know? And when we can do that, like we're on the right path. We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality is the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. 
We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. When you're living in faith, fear has no place there because we no longer fear the outcomes. We no longer fear or have expectations. Like we're just living in God's will. Like having that faith and having that peace and serenity overcomes that fear of the future. Like I don't, I don't even care what happens. Like I know that whatever happens is supposed to happen and I'm going to handle it the way that the best way I know how. And the best way I know how is through having that faith in God. And when I have that faith, it allows me to have peace of mind through calamity. You know, life is going to continue to show up, you know, and it's about how we deal with it, right? And that's why we say that serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Like, I need to do what I can do to put myself in the best position to win, and I give the rest to God. I work hard and I trust God, and that's it. And when I do that, I, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Like fear is a poison in itself. It never serves us. You know, the only time it serves us is if we're in a physical situation and we need to get out of it. If the fear is in your mind, then that is the problem. You know, the future tripping and like the fear of the unknown, you know, like that's where the pain is at. You know, that's where that anxiety comes from is when you're not living in the moment. And that fear is what keeps us out of living in the moment. And when you have true faith in your creator and you're doing the things necessary in your life, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Now about sex. Many of us need an overhauling there, but above else, we try to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to the extremes, absurd absurd extremes perhaps one set of voices cry that sex is the lust of our lower nature a base of necessity of procreation so you know when it comes to sex it's it's just like you need to take an honest look at, at how you're living you know like are you using sex for the wrong reasons you know are you manipulating people for sex are you trying to change the way that you feel because of sex, like using sex to change the way that you feel or pornography, masturbation? Like, are you just self-seeking, selfish in your desires? Um, you know, is it is it a problem in your life? You know, like, are your sexual desires a problem in your life? You know, and you need to be honest with yourself about that. Like, am I hurting other people by my sexual practices? Especially like if you have sexual desires for underage people or like you have sexual desires to hurt women or or children, just fucking just kill yourself, you know, just do us all a favor and just just kill yourself. But if you're a, a normal man or woman and like you have the desires for appropriate age counterparts, you need to be honest about, you know, are my sexual desires selfish? right? Am I lying to this person to get them into bed? Am I using their feelings 
for my selfish desires? Like, am I manipulating them for my sexual, you know, desires? Or am I, you know, trying to build a real relationship with this person, right? And like using, like, you got to put God's will into it, you know? Like, what is God's will in my sex life? It's probably to get married and to like have a, a family, right? Isn't that the the most logical reason? And I understand like in today's day and age, sex is a huge role in our environment and it's part of the dating process, but it doesn't have to be either, you know? Um, if you, if you, there's a reason why religions push marriage before sex. It's so you can really know the person before you have sex with them. And like that way, sex is not the, the main reason why you're together, because if it's the main reason that keeps you together, you're, you're not going to last, you know, because our bodies deteriorate and, and things happen and you won't be, and it's, it's so fleeting. Like, if the sexual desire and like your sex life is what's keeping you together, you're not going to stay together because it's never enough. It's like money, dude. It's like, it's just never enough. You always want more. You always want something different. And that's just the way we're wired. We're wired to procreate and like spread our seed, right? Especially as men. So for us, it's like, we cannot put sex first. Like we need to be able to have a real relationship with this person and really care about their feelings and like be willing to work together as a team for common goals and like really want to raise a family together. Or if you don't want kids, just have common goals and common vision and direction in, in your life and where you want to go. And just make sure you're not putting sex first. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from Him. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. And that's it, you know, trying to come to terms with our past, digesting some big chunks of truth about ourselves, and then find forgiveness. You know, for me, and I think for most people in this program, like finding forgiveness for yourself is, is the hardest part, you know, and uh, it took me a long time to get to that place, you know, especially like looking through all these resentments and like coming to terms and coming to the understanding that I was the problem. Well, geez, man, you know, now what? Like, I, now what am I supposed to do? Like, I am the problem, right? Like, what? I had to come to terms with that. I, I was the issue and I'm the only person that could get me out of it, right? And I had to find forgiveness for myself. And that was it. And for me, having some grace and understanding that I was sick, you know, that 
the things that I was doing, I wouldn't do sober. And I've proven that to myself because I've been sober for six years now and I don't do those things anymore. You know, I'm not out there living the same way. I've been re remade through my relationship with my higher power. And those things that I was doing out there, the lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, hurting other people, all the selfish, self-centered desires, I was doing that because I was sick, you know, and giving myself that grace of the knowledge that I was sick gave me some room, you know, and I can't take back the things that I've done. Like what's happened has happened. I've hurt a lot of people. I've burned a lot of bridges. You know, I've made amends where I can make them, but there's some amends I can never make because I've hurt random people, you know, and, uh, to make amends would injure them or others in some instances too. And so the only way that I can come to terms with the things that I've done in the past is by living in amends today. And so today I try to live in God's will. I try to, you know, walk righteously. And when I'm wrong, I promptly admit it and I change, you know. And as long as I'm living in amends to my past, then I can be okay with myself today. Whereas if I'm if you continue to live the way that you were living, then nothing changes, right? And you're still going to be stuck in that guilt and shame and and regret and resentment for yourself, you know. And that's the biggest resentment is for self in a lot of our in a lot of our lives. And I know for me it was like not living up to my own expectations as a father, as a man, as a son, as a friend, as a spouse, all these things, you know, kept me sick and was I was angry at myself for those, you know. So I just needed to wipe the slate clean, you know, and live in amends to the past and live righteously today to the best of my ability. And it's progress, not perfection. And, you know, as long as I try to align my will with God's will and continue to seek that out in my life and continue to cultivate this relationship with my higher power, stay connected to these programs, be of service, be a good man, be a good father and a good friend, good spouse, brother, son, all those things, then I can be okay with myself today. And I put faith in my higher power for the future and for how I'm living right now. And I I know that no matter what happens, that I'm going to be okay because I have that foundation of faith and I live in his will today. So hopefully you guys got something out of that and we'll, uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Victorious, we became, but never forgot where we came from. Life or death, not a game. We came to change the lane. Recovery addicts, that's the name. Give yourself a break, just one day at a time. You were born to shine, so live and let love be forever. My sister, my brother, don't give in. Please remember, the lie is dead. We do recover. Welcome home.